And Peter and John say, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus. And they lift him up. They look in his eyes. They reach out their hands. They raise him up. And they said, walk in the name of Jesus, right? And he does. He walks. And then he starts, he starts praising God. Basically, he's saying, I don't know who this Jesus is, but he's changed my life forever. Word spreads. Everybody hears about it. Well, that's not good because even though people hear about it and give their lives to Jesus, the Sanhedrin or the court, the Jewish religious leaders who had crucified Jesus heard about it as well. And they said, we thought we had stopped that movement of that man named Jesus by crucifying him. Little did they know that man rose from the dead and now it's crazier than ever because everybody's starting to believe. So they call Peter and John in front of them and they say to Peter and John, listen, they said, you're going to have to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they threaten them. They threaten to kill them. Basically, what they're saying is, right, we're going to do to you the same thing we did to him. But Peter and John knew something about what happened to Jesus, that he overcame death, and they're not backing down. I want to tell you something. So that's the way we ended it last week, is they threatened them. They said, we'll kill you if you ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And then there's a stop. That's where we stopped last week. When I was a kid growing up, I used to watch this show, and I'm going to really date myself, but I watched this show called Dukes of Hazard. Anybody ever watch Dukes of Hazard? Remember Bo and Luke? All right. So, so I watched Dukes of Hazard, and here's the interesting thing about the Dukes. At the end of each like segment of the show, they would get into some obstacle or something would happen. The car would have jumped some kind of ramp and been in the air, and all of a sudden there would be a freeze frame. Do you remember this? There'd be like a, it would freeze on the screen and the announcer who was Waylon Jennings, a country singer, would say, he would say this, he would say, well, what are the Duke boys going to do now? Or something like that. And, And it would freeze. And then you were like, kids, I know you don't understand this, but then we'd have to wait through the commercials for, to see what was going to happen with the, with the Duke boys on the other side of the commercial. Well, Okay, and that's a silly thing, but that's kind of what's happened between last Sunday and this Sunday is we stopped last Sunday with the disciples being threatened that they're going to be beaten and killed if they ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And now we've got to figure out, well, what are they going to do? And I have this sneaking suspicion, and you know the story too because we're sitting here today. They didn't stop speaking in the name of Jesus. There was a freeze frame last week. What are they going to do? Well, I think we know what they're going to do. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. They've just been sent out of the Sanhedrin. And look what happens. They spent the night in jail. They basically threatened their lives. And verse 23 of Acts chapter 4 says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
All right, stop right there, and, and we're going to go back and explain what just happened. So they were released. What's the first thing they did? They left, and they went straight back to the community of followers of Jesus, to their brothers and sisters, their church family, these early believers. They went straight back and told them everything that had happened. And the first thing they did was they gathered together and they prayed. They lifted their voice to God. Now, I don't know what you do when the odds are stacked against you or when you face an obstacle in life, but when you walked in here this morning, we all have different stories going on in our lives, don't we? Some of us, life is going great right now. Everything's good. Some of us, we're facing an obstacle right now. We're facing something that seems bigger than us. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's something, a job. Maybe it's a decision you have to make. Maybe it's a sin or a habit or something. But, but I have a feeling in this room that we all know what it feels like to have our backs against the wall. We all know what it feels like to face something hard, face something tough. Now, maybe it wasn't just like Peter and John, and they're facing here their life being threatened. They said if they ever speak in the name of Jesus, again, they're going to be killed. It's a pretty tough spot. And I don't know how you respond in those moments. I don't know what you do, what the first thing is that you do. Probably some fear and worry when you face hard stuff comes in your mind. And I'm sure for them it did too. But what they do is they go and gather with other followers of Jesus because they need other people at this moment. And they pray together because they need God's help and God's wisdom and God's guidance. Listen, I just mentioned that because gathering together and praying together is extremely important. And I want to talk about it for just a second. So kids, if you have a piece of paper and you want to draw something with me, draw, why don't, draw this. Draw what it looks like to gather together with other people and pray with other people. So here's my daughter drew this for me last night. I said, just draw a circle of people like praying together and gathering together. I don't know how you want to draw that, but you draw that however you want. What does it look like to get together with friends, with other people who are following Jesus and praying together? After a year of this pandemic, you know something I'm aware of? That this past year, I have felt this and maybe you have too, but it's easy for us to fall away or get out of the habit of some things that are really important in our lives. And I don't know what about this pandemic this last year did this, but it got me out of the rhythm and the habit and disengaged from some things that matter. And listen, as we kind of try to get back into life as normal over the last few months, as normal as they can be, what's happening is we have new commitments where sports are starting back, school is in full swing, you have to go to work and your job, and all these obligations that we have to be committed to and we have to do. And what happens is I've seen this and I've learned this is sometimes our daily time with God or our commitment to being at church, or serving at church, or being in a missional community, or being in a huddle, some of those things in the midst of all the busyness are easy just to skip or put on the back burner and say, I just can't commit to that right now. And I get it, because I know it. church is this optional thing that 
Nobody's going to make you do it, but I'm just going to tell you, in moments where your back is against the wall, or there's obstacles in front of you, or you're threatened, or you have decisions to make, it is crucial that you have a family of believers, followers of Jesus to run to, who lift you up and encourage you and pray with you as you walk through the hard stuff. And if you don't have that, I'm just telling you, don't neglect it. You need it. That is what the church is supposed to be. This... You coming in here and singing some songs and listening to me talk for a while, that's not the full expression of what the church is. The church is supposed to be a family of brothers and sisters where you run and you cling to and you're committed to and you hold each other accountable and you pray together and you learn together and you grow together and you hold each other up. Like that's the church and you need it and I need it. It's worth it worth it. So that's what Peter and John do. They go back to the followers. They just, they've been huddling together and praying together for a while now. So of course that's where they're going to go back to. And then I want to point out to you, and you can write these things down, three things that they pray about that are extremely, extremely informative to us as we talk to God and follow Jesus. So I want to point out the first thing, and you're going to have to go back to verse 24 to see this. But if you go back to verse 24 in chapter 4, look at what they pray about. It says, and when they heard it, talking about all the people that they told what had happened to them, when all the other followers of Jesus heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, now look at what they pray. They're praying together and they say, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, I want to point out that the very first part of their prayer is basically saying, God, you are in control. God, you are sovereign over everything. Even when things seem to be against us, even when the people who are in charge are not for you, God, even when the people in charge, the government leaders or anybody else, when they do wrong or when they are opposed to you, God, you are still in control. You're still in charge. Now, why do they pray like this? They're basically saying, God, you, you said all this would happen. In fact, you said that Jesus was going to be crucified and that they would crucify him. And basically they're saying, and, and God You are the one who let all that happen, knowing it would happen, and you're still in control. Why could they say that? Because what happened to Jesus? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified by this same group of people who cast judgment on him, hung him on a cross, and killed him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving God was in control. Does that make sense? And they've seen that with their own eyes. That's why their first thing they pray about is, Lord, you are sovereign. You are in charge, even when it doesn't feel like it. Let's be honest. There are days when it doesn't feel like God's in control, doesn't it? Isn't that true in your own life? There are days that I face that I wonder who's in charge. It seems like the enemy's winning. It seems like evil's winning. It seems like the odds are stacked against me. And in those moments, I desperately need to get on my knees before the Lord and remind myself, Lord, you are still on your throne. You are still sovereign. You are still in charge, even though in this moment it doesn't seem that way. 
That's the first thing they pray, and really important. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But look at verse 27. Back to the prayer of these early Christians. So the next thing they say is this. For truly this city, there were, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. They're saying, God, even in Jerusalem right here, they were gathered together against Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, don't miss that. What they just said is, listen, God, not only are you sovereign and you created everything and you own everything, but all the world seemed to be united against you. Herod the king, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Romans, the Jewish people, they were all against Jesus. They were all against you, God. And then look, look at what that last phrase says there. It says, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, what they're praying is, Lord, not only are you sovereign, but your plans never fail. God, you have a plan. You did when Jesus was crucified, and you do today. Even when the plans seem to fail, God, you have a plan. So, so think about this for a second. When Jesus was crucified, just months earlier before they're gathered here, when Jesus was crucified, it, had looked, it looked like God had lost, right? Here is the man who claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, hanging on a cross, bleeding out, breathing his last. It looked like God was dead or absent or losing. But you and I know that wasn't the end of the story. That God still had a plan. Listen, here's the crazy thing. The God of the Bible over and over takes the evil choices of man and uses it to accomplish his purpose because he's that powerful, he's that big, and he's that strong. And when you and I see failed plans, when we see mistakes or evil or disappointment or discouragement, God sees potential and opportunity in the midst of it. And he can see that in broken things, he can take them and weave a tapestry of his redeeming and grace. That's how good God is. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever staged a, a photo that's a forced perspective photo? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like years ago, we went to the Washington, D.C., and my wife and I were standing about, I don't know, half a mile from the Washington Monument, and we stood there and we held out our fingers like this, like we were holding the Washington Monument. Have you ever done something like that? And I mean, we weren't fooling anybody. People knew we weren't holding. You, you know what? We, we didn't hold the Washington Monument. You know that, right? So, but it looks like it in the photo that we're holding the Washington Monument. Look at some of these. So you can find these online, like this guy's holding an airplane. This guy's dumping out a waterfall. This one's spraying some clouds. You know those are a lie, right? See, you look at it, and it looks like you're spraying some clouds in the air. But you look at it from another angle, it's not true, right? Just shake your heads that you're with me. Okay. Yeah, there's no cloud coming out of the aerosol can. 
You know why? Because you've seen a cloud and you've seen an aerosol can. You've seen them from a different angle and you know it doesn't happen like that. See, sometimes we see life two-dimensionally. We see it from our perspective, not God's perspective. And we don't understand that God has a plan in the midst of it because we don't see it from his angle. That's why we have to pray and say, God, you're sovereign and your plans never fail. And you have a perspective that I don't have. Are you with me? You know, when we pray, when these disciples are praying, they say, God, we trust you. We trust you even though we can't see it, even though it doesn't make sense, even though right now we're feeling very afraid, and even though right now our lives have been threatened. God, you have a plan, and you're sovereign. I used to sing this song years ago. This is going to date me just like the Dukes of Hazard dates me. But years ago, I used to sing this song all the time. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. Anybody heard this song? Let me sing it for you. God will make a way. Anyway, uh, I, that song was huge to me because sometimes I need to be reminded that he works in ways that I can't see. And that my job is not to fix it or solve it or figure it out. But my job is to trust the one who can. Back to their prayer, I want you to notice something. If you look at what they pray, it's interesting that we are now two-thirds of the way through their prayer. Two-thirds of the way through their prayer. And they have yet to ask for anything from God. Isn't that remarkable? Their lives are in danger. They've just been scared out of their minds and told that they're going to be crucified like Jesus if they ever speak in his name again. And so far they haven't asked God for anything. They lift their voices and they praise God for who he is and what he's done. Why do they spend two-thirds of their prayer telling God what God already knows? Are you with me? I mean, does God need to be reminded that he's sovereign and in control? Does God need to be reminded that he has a plan? No, but they need to be reminded of it. Listen, what you and I don't get about prayer sometimes is prayer isn't just a way to ask for things from God. It's not just something we do before a meal, even though that's great. Prayer is when we're talking to our dad and being reminded of who he is and what he's done and who we are. Like prayer changes me more than it changes my circumstances. Can God change my circumstances? Of course. And he wants me to ask him for that. But he wants me to trust that he knows better than I know. Prayer powerfully changes my heart. One of the purposes of prayer is to align our heart with God's heart. One time when I was in college many years ago, I was just going through a tough time. I was struggling with the, some decisions. And it seemed really dark and there were some things that just had not gone right, and part of them was due to my mistakes. And so I had not talked to my parents in a while about it, and I didn't know what to do. I felt very alone. And one night I can remember calling my dad on the phone. And I love my dad, and he was a, a follower of Je he's a follower of Jesus, and, and I have a good relationship with him. And so I know that I'm blessed in that, but I picked up the phone and I called him. And when he answered the phone, just his voice, just hearing his voice, it's like it was just so assuring to me. He didn't judge me or condemn me in, in that moment, and that's what I needed. But then at the end of the conversation, 
my dad said this. He said, son, I'm so glad that you called me to talk about this. He said, but now when we get off the phone, I think you should talk to your heavenly father about it too. And I did. And listen, none of the circumstances changed. It was still the hard decisions were there. It was still the fallout and consequences and all that kind of stuff. But I was different because I'd spent time talking to my dad and he'd encouraged me to talk to my heavenly father and I was different. Listen, I'm just telling you, prayer is talking to your heavenly father, the one who is sovereignly in control of everything. Listen, I've suggested this acrostic before, but I'm going to give it to you again. It's just the word pray, P-R-A-Y. And, and it's a great tool to use. It actually comes from the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us kind of a model or an example of how to pray. And if you go through that, you can pull out this. The first thing Jesus does is he praises God. Hallowed be your name. You're great, God, like this. There's this idea, and this is what the disciples do here. The first thing they do is to tell God how great he is, that he's sovereign, that he's in control. God, you are great. You're bigger than anything I could fear. You made everything. You know everything. You're above everything. Listen, there's something that happens in you when you begin to pray, and you pray like that. God doesn't need reminding, but you do to just declare God, I know who you are, and you're great, and you're good, and I thank you for what you've done. And the second part is repent. This is when we say, but God, I've fallen short. Like, sometimes I don't trust you. Sometimes I run. Sometimes I try to fix it on my own. Sometimes I worry, and I fear, and sometimes I do things that, God, are disobedient to you. Like, you just pour your heart out to God. The third thing is to ask. This is when we say, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need you to remind me of your grace. God, I need your guidance and your wisdom. And you tell God what you need. And then the last one, why is yield? It's where we say, but at the end of the day, God, I trust what you want more than what I want. I trust your will over my will. Because God, you're bigger and stronger. And I will trust you. That's yielding yourself to God. If you've never used that acrostic to pray, it's just a tool, but it might guide you in prayer time. I would encourage you, spend time with God each day. And as you do that, maybe use this as a tool. Maybe write, take a journal and write down the things you pray about. And then you'll look back on it and see how God worked in the midst of your prayers. It's amazing to do that. That's what these guys do is they pray and they spent two thirds of their prayer talking about who God is and what he's done. And then look at what? Look at what happens next in their prayer. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Pay attention to this. Verse 30. While you, God, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Listen, I want you to notice what just happened. They finally got to the part where they asked God for something. Listen, they had they'd stood before the authorities who crucified Jesus. They had threatened them to never speak in the name of Jesus again. And now you would think at this point that they would pray, God, would you protect us? Or would you wipe out our enemies? Would you kill the Sanhedrin before they could kill us? Have you ever prayed like that? You're not going to admit that. But, like, 
At this point, would it be wrong for them to ask for God's protection? At this point, it probably wouldn't be wrong for them to say, God, would you protect us? They're going to kill us. God, would you keep us safe? God, would you stop them? God, would you stop? Would you change our circumstances? And yet they don't pray for that at all. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your circumstances to change. It's not wrong for you to pray for God to keep you safe. I'm not saying that, but look at what they pray for. This is remarkable. They don't pray for the circumstances to change. They pray for their courage to change, to face the circumstances. Do you see that? They say, God, we're in the midst of dire straits here. We're not asking you to change the circumstance or the situation we're in. We're asking you to change our hearts and our perspective. God, would you give us courage? Kids, right now, if you want to draw something else with me, draw something you're afraid of. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the dark. Maybe it's a scary movie. Maybe it's um, a snake. Maybe it's a roller coaster. My daughter Greta drew a spider because lots of people in our house are very afraid of spiders. So you draw anything that you're afraid of. Adults, I know when we grow up, maybe these fears change, but we have fears that we replace it with. Rejection, loss, hurt, loneliness. There's all kinds of fears, financial worries and fears. There's things that we change this to, but we can be paralyzed by fear. It's not wrong for God for you and I to ask God to change those things around us. I don't know what you face today. I don't know what's going on in your life. Like, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what you fear or what you worry about. I don't know what's going on with your kids or your finances or your job. I don't know. But I have a feeling that you and I are facing different kinds of things this morning. And it's not wrong for you to pray for God to change those things. You can pray that. Your Heavenly Father wants to hear it. But at the end of the day, here's what they do that's a great example of us. God, in the midst of this circumstance, would you grant me the courage to know how great you are, how strong you are, that you have a plan, and that I'm going to make it because you've got this. Sometimes it's not the course that needs to change, but the courage of the one running it. You see, I was a runner in high school, and I I ran a lot, and I would often complain about the different courses I would run. I was like, that course was not, that wasn't measured right, or that course was too rough, or, you know, this weekend, we've got a lot of people that are going to be doing the run Cane Bay 5K and 10K. If you haven't signed up, you should sign up. I'm going to be running the 5K because I'm afraid of the 10K, but, um, but here's the thing, the course around here, we're going to be running on nice paved trails and, and like it's flat around here if you haven't noticed, so no big hills. Like when my kids would go to cross country courses, because my kids ran cross country too, and when they would go to cross country courses and their time wasn't so great, they would say, that course was awful. And I would say, that runner was awful. No, I, did, I didn't say that. as dead. It's easy to blame the circumstances or the situation, Right? Sometimes it's not the course that needs to change. It's the courage of the one running it. And that's what they pray for. God, would you grant us courage? And then guess what? They leave. You can tell by their prayer what they're going to do, right? They say, God, would you grant us courage as you work to do amazing things in the name of who? 
Jesus. They're not going to be silent about Jesus. In fact, they weren't silent about Jesus. You and I sit here today because they weren't silent about Jesus. Because they told other people about Jesus, who told other people about Jesus, who told other people about Jesus, and here we are. And God, help it not stop with us. Give us the courage to not stop speaking the name of Jesus. Those guys, they left there and most of them died because they were killed for speaking and lifting up the name of Jesus. But they weren't silent. Now, quickly, just a little caveat. Because the the law, the authority over them said, don't speak in the name of Jesus, and they left and did it anyway. When is it okay for a follower of Jesus to defy the law of the authority over us? Because the Bible, the Bible is really clear. Paul's really clear about this. Peter's really clear about this, that we're to honor and respect our elders, those in authority over us, regardless. And they wrote that during the horrible Roman Empire when the emperors would rip Christians to shreds, when persecution was fierce. And Paul and Peter were clear that you and I as followers of Jesus are to respect the authorities, that in our submission to authority, in our submission to the law, we demonstrate that we trust God is really in control, no matter what happens to us. So why is it sometimes okay in Scripture, there's a few occasions like this, when they don't listen to what the authorities say? They didn't do it. They went out and immediately spoke in the name of Jesus. Why did they defy what was told them? Listen, I'll tell you this. When the command of God is directly contrary to the command of the authority over you, You trust the one who's really in charge. Are you with me? Only then, though, we call this civil disobedience. Listen, a lot of people do civil disobedience for a lot of reasons. One, to vindicate themselves. One, because they want to assert their own rights and privileges. Listen, we are never called as Christians to fight for our own rights. I don't know if that's news to you, but that does not, the Bible does not call us to do it. It calls us to stand up for the rights of other people, but it never calls us to fight for our own rights. It calls us to lay our lives down in submission. Do you get that? But listen, when the authority over you calls you to disobey or contradict what God has called you to do. And the mission of Jesus was clear, right? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He gave them one mission, one command. Go tell people about me. And when the authority over you says, don't ever do that again, who are you going to obey? I'm going to obey the real king, even if it costs me my life here. And as a follower of Jesus, that is the only time when, we, it, when the authority over us directly calls us to disobey God, you and I better obey God. Does that make sense? Now, what happens? Look, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Do you see that? I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if it was like an earthquake I don't know if the walls kind of rattled. Have any of you been in an earthquake before? 
Like, I don't know what happened at this moment, but it says the place in which they prayed. When they said amen, all of a sudden, something shook. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It was like God was reminding them. You want courage? Let me remind you and show you. I'm still here. I'm still in charge. And I've got this. And shook the house. About 18 years ago, I went on my first, first mission trip to Honduras. And um, stay tuned because we're going to be doing a mission trip later to Honduras this year. And so stay tuned for more details about that. But I went to Honduras, and and the team I was with was building a house for a family, a family that did not know Jesus. And part of our reason was to give them a house, but part of it was to show that God can save you. God cares about you and loves you. And our whole prayer that week as we built this house was, God, would you show them through us who Jesus is so they would turn to Jesus and give their lives to him. We had six days to build a house. It was a challenge. Like we had a team and a supervisor and we were, we were doing it, but we knew we were going to be pressed for time. And the weather wasn't cooperating really well. And one day, toward the end of the week, we weren't finished building the house, and we were going to have to walk away. And listen, there was something in us that said, if we walk away and said we weren't able to give you a house, finish a house, there was something in us that said, it, it makes it seem as if God can't provide and is not in charge. Now, I know that was just in our minds, but we just felt like we kept praying, God, would you help us finish this house And one day, I remember it was a Thursday, we were working and we were laying bricks and we were trying to get to the roof where we're getting the roof on and and we could see the storm clouds gather all around us and it was forecast for rain. We knew it was going to rain and so we decided not to take a lunch break that we were going to, me and a girl named April went running up the mountain to where the Land Rover was parked and we grabbed the the cooler of sandwiches so we could bring it back down to the house so we could eat and keep working as we ate sandwiches. And when we got up halfway up the mountain out of sight of the house where we were working, the sky let loose and it started pouring raining. And I turned to April and looked and tears were running down. I could tell tears were running down her face even in the midst of the rain. And we just stopped. We got to the car and we just stopped and we were just lifeless. And we just were in tears saying... It, we're not going to finish. Like, and so we stopped and we just prayed. As we got that cooler out, we stopped there and we prayed and said, God, would you just stop the rain? God, would you just stop the rain, please? Would you, would you allow us to finish this work so that these people would know how strong and good you are and would they turn their lives over to Jesus? God, would you let it happen? And at the end of the prayer, we did like, I said earlier, we said, but God, we trust you. We want your will. We know you know what's better. We turned and we walked back down the hill carrying that cooler. The rain didn't stop, by the way. It was still raining. We got back down the hill and halfway down the hill when the house came into view, we saw something crazy. Like it was raining everywhere. You could see the sky. We're up on the side of this mountain and you could see the rain clouds everywhere and it was pouring rain. But right over where the house was, there was a hole in the sky. And it was like the sun was shining down on that one spot. And we got back to the house, and it had never rained a drop where they were working on building that house. And it didn't rain the whole rest of the day. 
Now, I don't know how to explain that other than my God can do anything he wants to do. And sometimes he reminds me of that. Today, maybe you need to be reminded that our God is sovereign. He has a plan. And ultimately, what you need more than anything is courage to trust Him. What if we prayed like that? What if as a church, you and I, we were gathered this morning not just to come to church and hear some songs and go home feeling a little bit better. What if today, we together, we came here to lift up our voices together and say, God, you're strong and you're sovereign and you can do anything and you have a plan right here in Cane Bay for the 70 to 80% of the people who don't know Jesus. God, you put us here. Now, God, give us the courage to lift up the name of Jesus. What if we prayed like that? If we prayed like that and we meant it and we gathered together and that was our heart, God would shake things up. I believe it. He shook the house where they were praying as if to say, I heard what you said. And I'm listening. He's listening to us right now. Can we join our hearts in praying together? And would you be so bold as to pray like Peter and John did? Would you stand with me? So I'm going to pray for us, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You don't even have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to the words I say. Would you spend the next minute or so just talking to the almighty God who loves you and knows you and brought you here this morning. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I have a feeling he brought you here to remind you of who he is and what he's done. And so right now, would you just talk to him? And would you just tell him how great he is and how good he is and how faithful he's been and how you trust his plan? And would you ask him to give you courage to live for Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus, and to love Jesus with all your heart? Would you ask him for the courage to risk everything for that? Because if we do that together, I have no idea, but I think God will do amazing things in us and through us. And he'll start today. Would you pray with me?